What, from what book of the Bible? Daniel. And uh, what was kind of the end result? What, what portion of Daniel? Or what, what piece of Daniel? Do you remember the verse? Or a phrase from the verse? But if not... Uh, did you think about it? Did you, do you remember that one? Huh? I thought, yeah, okay. Remember the three Hebrew boys, the conclusion was, well, number one, we should ask, how is God at work? And how can I align to what God is doing? I've been thinking about that a lot as we uh, go through, and the Apostle Paul is, is a part of that story of God. Now, I think that uh, I, I, wanna, I want to, as we go through preaching about 2 Corinthians, I want us to think a little bit uh, about what it means to become acquainted with the Bible. So the lesson today is, how much do you know, well, first of all, let me just ask this. Does anyone know any verses from 2 Corinthians that you, you just know? What's in 2 Corinthians? I mean, these are Bible scholars sitting in front of me here, aren't they? What's in 2 Corinthians? Anybody know anything in 2 Corinthians? Say it, say it loud. It's a letter to the church. Um, yes, it is. It's a letter to the church. It's a, there are two letters to the people at Corinth. There are actually more letters written. We only have two of them. Uh, and so we want to learn what is at the church at Corinth today. We want to learn about that. Um, but also, a part of my burden, a part of my vision, is that we become more acquainted with the Bible. Narita and I had the privilege to spend a, por- a large portion of, a portion of our lives where that is, was our sole focus, where we were teaching and so on, uh, and especially me, probably more than her, but I've taught uh, 2 Corinthians a number of times, and we both took it when we first went to school, and it is a passionate book. It's this kind of heart cry of Paul, and so you're going to see some things in here that uh, we'll learn. But I think uh, as we think about becoming literate or becoming knowledgeable about the Bible, uh, remember the pa- uh, a couple weeks ago I preached about context. What is the context of, of something? Yeah. What does it mean? What am I to do with it? So that's the the three pieces of interpretation. When we say the context, we're also talking about the setting. And is, is the setting of something important? Here, so I'm going to teach you a little. I mean, let's just look at this. Uh, look at 2 Corinthians 2. And uh, uh, we'll jump right in and, uh, and look at a few things here. 2 Corinthians 2 is this uh, kind of passage. If you don't know the context, this means you could make it say a lot of things here. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 14. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in a triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among, among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To, to the other, a fragrance from life to life. What does fragrance mean? Smell, aroma. So is this saying we shouldn't wear deodorant? So we smell? 
Should we have, oh, I get it. Christians should have a unique smell, right? Uh, Old Spice for men. Uh, I I don't know. When you look at that, when you look at a passage like that, and you don't understand the context, sometimes uh, in the past, people have made things say funny things, like, um, I would not have you, ignorant brethren. That's what the women say. Or I would not have you ignorant, brothers and sisters. So I would not have you ignorant, brothers and sisters, about what this means. So, does this help you understand the context of this passage a little better? In the Roman world, so Paul is writing in, a Roman, in the Roman world. We call it the Roman world. This is when Rome rules. Uh, put, the, put, the, put the first slide up and see if... If that Yes, that's good. The world of Acts and Paul. So if you look at this, all the way down here is Jerusalem. This is Israel down here. Um, Corinth is up here. It's, uh, Greece is north of Corinth. There, Rome is all the way up here in the top corner. Rome ruled all of this world. And that is the world that Paul traveled in. Here's a couple fascinating things for you to think about in relation to Paul's travels. So prior to the Rome's conquering... Romans conquering this world, and they spread further. Uh, they were all the, all the way down in North Africa. They went up into Europe, as far uh, north as Hadrian's Wall in Scotland on the British island. But so so they ruled all of this world. Now the first thing the Romans did when they moved into a world like this is they built roads. Okay. They built roads for their armies to travel on, and they cut the roads like this. They built the roads with a high middle and ditches on the side and wide so you could move their armies quickly. And they guarded those roads because it was important to keep the roads guarded. And so Jesus is born at a time, and and the church comes into an existence at a time when the roads, when roads are really easy to travel on, and, and Prior to the time of the Romans conquering this world, the Greeks and the Romans conquering this world, Israel would have been a nation, Syria would have been a nation, and there would have been all these little nations, and you would have needed, you could not have traveled those, to those places. And suddenly Rome conquers all that, it's now all the Roman Empire, and you can travel it. What does that do to the gospel? It spreads it. Also, uh, Jerusalem... Uh, uh, Israel and Judea are conquered by the Greeks and then the Romans. And when that happens, when they're conquered, it, the Jews move all over the world. Then there are synagogues all over the world that one of them will meet in Corinth today. So now, when the Romans conquered, uh, when they went out and they loved to fight, they had good armies. They loved to fight. And uh, when they would conquer a world or conquer a region or they know there was going to be a battle, you know, word would get back to Rome or to Corinth or to Ephesus, the major cities, that there's going to, they're, they're at war, and they're going to go to battle. And people would know ahead of time that they're going to battle. And then one morning you'd wake up in your, in your town, in your village, in your place, and you'd, you'd, you'd smell something. You'd say, what is that? Oh! So what the Romans would do, they'd send runners. You know, these are good long-distance runners. Marathon, Olympic Games, those kinds of things. They'd sent runners back, fast men back, to these the centers, and they'd say, we won the battle. And they had a certain incense that they burned when they won the battle. Okay? And then 
everybody would know, wait, there's going to be a party. When you smelled that smell, you knew there was going to be a party. And then what the Romans would do is they'd bring, they'd bring the, the uh, important generals of the opposing side, the side they'd conquered, they'd bring back to Rome, and they'd take chariots, and they'd chain those men behind chariots, the, the opposing generals and leaders, and they'd, they'd lead them through the city in a, they call it the triumphal procession. And you'd have this smell of the battle of the victory. Now, go back to what Paul is saying here. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in the triumphal procession. Huh. Suddenly that passage makes sense, doesn't it? And spreads, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge. I smell victory. Ah, King Jesus is winning. We are that incense. We're that smell of victory. Does that now make a little? Does that now make the passage read a little differently? That's what context does to a passage. When you build context and you build a world around it, and you you understand uh, some of the things. There's there's many others uh, in in four one. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4.1, it says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Uh, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper, to tamper with God's word. Okay? And that word there means huckster. There were people in the Roman world who sold things. Particularly in a place like Corinth, they would sell things and they would use uneven weights or they would... Uh, uh, you, you've seen this uh, on the internet or TV or wherever you, uh, you see your advertising or heard it. You, you pay, uh, I just saw one recently where you could pay nine, three payments of 1995 would get you a little vial of miracle water. And it would solve everything that's wrong with you. It'll solve. Now, what, do you first, what is your first reaction when you see that? What's your first reaction? Scam. And that, in that, in the Roman world, these merchants did this. And they were called, uh, uh, the, the English translation would be hucksters or bad salespeople, bad scammers. And Paul uses that very word here and says, we don't do that with the scriptures. We don't try to sell the scriptures in a way that scams people. So when you understand those things about the, the uh, just here's another a good one. In, in chapter 6 it says, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. I want you to remember that because in a few minutes we're going to learn something about Corinth that makes that uh, passage make a little more sense as well. Uh, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, it says, for how can Christ, how can you harness an ox to a donk and a donkey? Think about an ox and a donkey harnessed together, yoked together. Uh, the donkey is faster than the ox. The donkey is smaller than the ox. You have this kind of mm, 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 jerking its way through, and it wouldn't work very well. Remember that in a few minutes. So this is where Corinth is, is, is located. Now, if you look at the very first verses of 2 Corinthians, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Achaia is this region that is just north of, uh, it's this region from where the words Achaia are there, the south of Greece, all the way down into that uh, peninsula area. This is the Mediterranean Sea, this the Aegean Sea, this the Adriatic Sea over here. And this is the Cape of Malay, uh, right down here just above Crete. And, and shipping, 
that came from the east, all of the shipping, they didn't go through this area to go to Rome. They sailed up along the coastlines through those islands. And this, uh, the Cape of Malay between Crete and Corinth there, that area is very dangerous. Lots of uh, quick-acting waves. And uh, the, uh, one of the old sayings in this time, uh, Greek sayings in this time, is if you sail the Cape of Malay, have your will made. Now that's also important to understanding uh, the Second Corinthians. Uh, let me just tell you a little bit about the city of Corinth. It was, uh, it's an ancient city, but in, in 144, 145 years before Jesus, it was, it was raised by the Romans, by Lucius Mummius, who raised it then 44 uh, B.C., 44 years before Christ, Julius Caesar rebuilt the city of Corinth. And by the time that Paul writes 2 Corinthians, by the time that Paul travels here, it's a large city. It's a city of about probably about 50,000 people, which is large for that time. It's a very fast-growing city, and it's filled with a lot of different nationalities. And here is why. Uh, now, uh, give, give me the next slide there, Mike. Uh, yeah, so, so this is, see the little square up there in the map? That's, we're looking at the very same place. This is Corinth. Corinth is in the city. Uh, uh, by the way, uh, let me just say this. There was also two major earthquakes. There's a fault region in this area. And in 1858, there was a, the last major earthquake there destroyed most of the Roman city of Corinth. And the modern city of Corinth is now about three miles north. And this, this little neck of land here is called an isthmus. It's hard for a Dutchman to say isthmus because it has an I-S-T-H beside each other. Isthmus. Ah, whatever, you know, that narrow neck of land. You find other ways to describe it. But because the Cape of Malay was so dangerous to sail around, most of the shipping came up and into the Gulf of Saronica, and they either, on large ships, they unloaded the goods on this side and transported them across and reloaded them on other ships on the other side. And when they did that, the people of Corinth charged the duty a tax to do that. Now, small ships, they wouldn't unload. Give the next slide, Mike. Is the next slide? Let me see if the, what the next... Well, so, so this is just another map of, of this world. By the way, Sparta is down here where some of the great uh, uh, wars were fought. Let's go to the next slide, Mike. Right here. So they, they actually build a paved pathway between the two sides. Now back up to the, my, uh, my blowing up. That paved pathway is that blue line right there. And that blue line, they would take small ships and they would harness yokes of oxen or donkeys to these ships and drag them across on little wheels on that, that path and put them into the harbor on the other side. Be not unequally yoked together. These are things and ideas that the people at Corinth understood very well. It wouldn't work to put a donkey and an ox together. In, in 67 A.D., so um, Paul first visited here around 50 or 55, roughly. About 15, 17 years later, Nero, the uh, Roman emperor, started cutting a channel through there. Like the Panama Canal, except the... Cor cor uh, and, uh, and then the Roman Empire fell and the, uh, the channel was finally completed in 1893. 
1,800 years after it was started. So there is a channel there. Um, so so what, what this did to Corinth is it, it created a polyglot of people in Corinth. All these ships came there, unloaded, and there was a lot of work there. There was always work there. But there was also most of the uh, labor that was done was done by slaves. And a certain number of those slaves had won their freedom. Now, freedom. They had won their liberty. So they were called libertines. The, a freed slave in that world is called a libertine. And uh, in, in 2 Corinthians 3, if you still have your Bibles open, uh, this is just so fascinating to me when I understand the world in which these things happen. In 2 Corinthians 3, uh, sorry, chapter 4, um, Uh, sorry, verse 17 of chapter 3. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord, there is freedom. But the Greek word there is liberty. So every freed slave, in, or every slave, and every freed slave, and every person at Corinth would know what it means to be in bondage and what it means to be in freedom. And Paul says you want to find true freedom? You find it looking into the face of Jesus Christ. So, um, now, the, turn your Bibles now to, to, to um, Luke 7, uh, sorry, Acts 18. And if, you should follow along on these kinds of things because uh, we're going to be preaching from here and it'll actually make things make sense as we go. Luke, sorry, Acts 18. Um, so this is a Roman colony which gives it a certain amount of freedom. Uh, let me also say this. Well, well, let me read this passage. Uh, Mike, go ahead and forward me the slides past the pathway. Let's just go slow right here. Timeline of Paul's interaction with uh, the church at Corinth. So the church at Corinth is founded in about A.D. 50. And we're going to look here at when it is founded. Acts chapter 18. Follow along as I read. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. So Athens is to the north. Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. Okay, so what does that tell us? Paul goes there, visits there, and he finds Aquila and Priscilla and their tent makers. Paul's a tent maker. Now, why might tent making thrive in Corinth? Well, it's a trading city. You can sell things. Uh, the ship, here's another just a fascinating fact. The, there were all kinds of inns and places for sailors to sleep, including tents where sailors could sleep. Temporary living quarters for sailors to sleep as their ships were there. Verse 4, And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord 
together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. Now I'm going to stop there again. In the, in the last 40 years, they've done a lot of architectural excavation, architectural, archaeological excavations in Corinth, in the old city. They found the lintel of a place, and it was a Jewish synagogue, and it said the leader's name was Crispus. And, and so, and he had become a Christian. He was a Jew who became a Christian. Who, who, uh, and he is the head of the synagogue. Now, for a Jewish synagogue to be in existence, it needs at least 10 households. So you, we know there was at least 10 households, probably many more. But the leader of the synagogue, which is not necessarily the chief rabbi, he is the administrator. He's the boss man. He oversees the synagogue and the business of the synagogue. And... Uh, and he becomes a Christian. And so there is a, there is a mess there. And, and again, you have Jews coming and you have Greeks, uh, Gentiles coming. Now, uh, so many of the uh, Corinthians heard Paul and believed and were baptized. Verse 9. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you and no, will attack, no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal. So this is a court. Tribunal is a court. Saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth... Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or a vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourself. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sothenius, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. Now get the picture. So, uh, Paul is brought by the Jews in front of the tribunal. Now Crispus is no longer the ruler of the synagogue. Who is? Socinius. So Socinius is now the ruler. And so they're bringing this charge against Paul. And, pa- and, and God had just told Paul in a dream, don't be afraid. And Paul, before Paul could open his mouth and defend himself, the guy said, I can't. This is foolishness. This is none of my business. You guys have to figure this out. This is about religion. It's nothing for me to worry about. And, and then the people beat the ruler of the synagogue because they had brought these things. And so there's this kind of mess. But so, so, the, the, so that, is what, that, that is when the church is founded. This is in 50 A.D. And about 55 or 56, Paul wrote uh, 1 Corinthians. Now, I should also say this, that the people at Corinth, Corinth uh, the culture of Corinth was, uh, it's one of the wealthiest cities in the Roman world. Um, and there is a temple to the Greek god. The, the, the primary Greek god there is a Greek god named Aphrodite. She is the god of fertility. And there are at least a thousand temple prostitutes that are engaged in worship every day. And so it's a very immoral city. In fact, uh, on, the, on, the Greeks, on the Roman stage, if, if people at Corinth were ever uh, represented, they were always represented as drunkards. Lots of immorality and, and bad things happening there. Um, 
There is also a shrine there to a divine healer, and anyone who had healing powers was, uh, was kind of venerated in that, in that city. Now, so the church is founded, and almost immediately the church has some problems. And Paul addresses those problems in 1 Corinthians. He addresses those problems in 1 Corinthians. In fact, he tells the people uh, in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, Do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Now listen to the list. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, or the drunkards, or the revilers, nor swindlers, will, swindlers, hucksters, will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. This is who you were. When I look across this audience, I want to say, such were some of us. But Paul doesn't stop there. He says, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You are justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And notice how Paul addresses the people at Corinth when he writes to them. With all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. Paul could see beyond what people were to the redeeming power of Jesus in their lives. This is not a perfect group of people. In fact, this is a very messy group of people. Just like us. And Paul looks beyond that and says, Jesus is doing a work in your lives. A beautiful work. And you know what, brothers and sisters, if we can do that, if we can see beyond the surface of people and say, but that is a person who wants to follow Jesus, about our fellow brothers and sisters, it is powerful. It doesn't mean they all agreed. Um, and then Paul, sometime, so, so somewhere, but then Paul makes a short, he calls it a painful visit. There's some things going on in the church, including incest and a couple other things going on, and, and, but then the man repented, and then, but people weren't, didn't act very repentantly to the man who had repented. It's a big mess. And so Paul apparently makes a visit back, and he really deals with it. And then he tells them, I want to come back. But he can't. And instead he, of coming back, he sends Titus. Well, that ticks some of the people off in, second, in, in Corinth. And they say, that man is not a man of his word. He said he'd come back, and he didn't come back. He said he'd do this, and he didn't do this. And Paul addresses that. You're going to find it in 2 Corinthians. Paul says, no, you guys, I wanted to, but I couldn't. And you can't blame me for doing that. And Paul defends himself in, in a very godly way. And then he writes 2 Corinthians, and then... He, he makes his final visit to Corinth, and he writes Romans from here in his second visit. Now, what are some things that we can learn? Do we have another slide, Mike? I think we do. One more. Let's just think about the message of 2 Corinthians. The, the power of 2 Corinthians is to present the gospel and the, the way of Christ more clearly. There are so many powerful portions of this. Paul, uh, uh, Brent is going to address the issue of suffering. Paul talks about suffering very early. He says... You are going to suffer, and I have suffered. And in that, we perfect Jesus Christ. And then, uh, but he also says, that we, you, you have to just look into the face of Jesus. We're going to look at that. And then, uh, because they're very wealthy um, people, he, they have promised to give money. When Paul was there, they apparently promised to give money. And now he's telling them, look, 
you guys need to give. For, this is actually uh, where, God, where it says, God loveth a cheerful giver. It's in 2 Corinthians. Do you know what the Greek base of the word cheerful is? Hilario. It's where we get our word hilarious. When something is hilarious, what is it? It's belly laughing funny. We should be belly laughing funny givers. In other words, we should give with joy and exuberance and laugh about the fact that, oh, look at what we can do to defeat the powers of darkness and enhance the kingdom of light by our giving. It's very powerful. And then to defend his own apostolic authority and ministry. And then uh, also to unify a diverse and squabbling church. And I, again, that is the, the entire message of 2 Corinthians is built in that. And as we move forward into the book, let's not view it as this kind of ancient world back there where uh, Paul had to do this and Paul had to do this. But also, it's very modern in the sense that these are issues that we face today. Do we not face the issue of how to present the gospel in the way of Christ more clearly? Do we not face the issue to, to say we need to, we need to be giving kind of generous kind of people and, and we need to de- defend our right to speak for God and, and be God's voice in today's world? And, and in, a, in a world that is, is promoting divisiveness and divisions, it is God's call to his people to bring that diverse world, slaves free, Jews, Gentiles, Amish, non-Amish, English, uh, or I should have said Amish and English, black and white, to bring those people together. And the body of Christ is one where we show respect across the boundaries and divisions that the world has set up. And, and to understand the fact that when in the kingdom of God, there are two kinds of people. God views people through the lens of two, two ways. The saved and the unsaved. Those who are following him and those who are not. That is the dividing line in our world. And, and these people at Corinth wrestled with this question. Rich and poor. And all those things. So it is a very modern book. And it's also a call for us in today's world, to lay our petty differences aside. I'm not talking about issues of scriptural integrity, but to lay our differences aside and to meet together and worship. And I love Brent's, the fact that we are called first to worship. And from that, from that worship, comes our mission and our calling. Let's stand together. So Jesus, I pray, as we enter into the study of 2 Corinthians, as we look at your call to the church, as we look at your call in our world today, I pray that we would be, that we would wrestle with what it means to, to represent you, what it means to show Christ more clearly in our world and what it means to be generous and, and give generously. And also what it means to defend our right to speak for you in our world. And as we do that, 
that we would lay down our petty squabbles and the things that Satan brings to divide us. We lay them at the feet of Jesus. And as we do that, we would reach out in repentance and love to our fellow believers and create a united front and bring light to our world. In Jesus' name, amen. Now you have one assignment. You have to read 2 Corinthians. I actually thought about just reading it this morning. Do it over two or three days, but take time and read it. Just read it. Humor me and read it. I'm going to ask. How much time do you need to read it? A week? Can you read it in a week? How many of you would like to read it in a week? All right, I'll ask. Next Sunday. I'll join you in that. God bless you and have a great week.